You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. Some of you, you're here today and you're like, oh no, I have managed to show up at this church on a day that the pastor is talking about money. I'm going to hold tight onto my wallet because he's going to do everything he can to take it from me today. And that is not my intention at all. I believe that God's Word has a lot to say about how we are generous and how we give, but it has even more to say about how we manage what we have been given. And God wants to give us something rather than take something from us. And that's my hope for you today, is not to get anything from you, but to give you something, to help you to have a a new perspective on finances. And I'm sure that many of you, you feel often that there's just not enough money. There's not enough money in your bank account. There's not enough money in your paycheck. There's not enough money in your wage. There's not enough money in your IRA. There's not enough money in Social Security. There's not enough money in the change cup to buy that drink that you want. There's just not enough money. And I want to tell you that you're right, that there is not enough money. In fact, there's not enough money in the world. My, my dad used to say, there's not enough money in the world that you could pay me to do that. Speaking of different things that he was just not willing to do. Now, my father wasn't saying that there wasn't enough money in the world to pay him to do some job. My father was a hardworking man. He is a hardworking man. But I remember specifically him saying that there's not enough money in the world that you could pay me to be a referee. You would not want to be a referee, right? Because when you're a referee, no matter what you do, 50% of the people at the game are not going to be happy with what you do, right? But I remember when I was in Little League, they didn't pay my dad to referee. The referee didn't show up. And so they had to have some dads come out of the stands, one from each team, to referee the game. And so that there would be a game, my dad reluctantly came down and refed this baseball game. And I can remember this one moment where there was, as late in the game, and there was this close call at second base, and everybody's looking at my dad. And I don't even remember if my team was batting or if we were in the field. I don't even remember how my dad ruled, if he said it was safe or out. But I can just remember in that moment, everybody looking at my dad and thinking, man, dad did not want to be in this situation. This is not what he asked for. He's just trying to come see his son play a baseball game. And my dad said, there's not enough money in the world that I would want to do that. You couldn't pay me enough to do that. Maybe there is something in your life that you would say, like, you couldn't pay me to do that. You couldn't pay me to work that job. You couldn't pay me to go there. You couldn't pay me to spend another day with that person or go to my family's Thanksgiving or whatever it might be. And what we're saying when we say that is that there is something that we value more than money. And maybe it's our sanity or it's our time or it's our relationships or time with your family. What we're saying is it's not worth the amount of money that is being offered. When I was making graphics for Friend Day, last Sunday was Friend Day. We had a great day, two services, a lot of people who were here for the first time. If you're back with us again the second time, we're so glad that you came back. I was making graphics for Friend Day, just memes that would try to encourage people to invite and to come to Friend Day. And so I was looking through these different funny graphics. And one that I saw was a consistent theme was the top of it would say, would you would you hit your friend for a million dollars? Would you smack your girlfriend for a thousand dollars? Whatever. And in the bottom of it was like somebody immediately doing that thing. And the joke is like, yeah, if you offer me money, I'll immediately do that. Now, they're just being humorous, but I was like, it's amazing how quick we're saying, yeah, I would, I would hit my friend for a million dollars. I would tell on my brother for what, you know. What we're saying is that we value money more than those things. 
And I think for many of us, we have a skewed perspective on the value of money. We have an unrealistic idea of how much money is really worth. Now, money plays a factor in all of our lives on a regular basis. Some of you have already spent money this morning. You're going to spend money later. Something is going to come up about money. You're going to have a conversation. Hopefully, it's just a conversation with your spouse about money. It may verge on an argument. The number one topic of arguments in marriages is money. It surrounds us. And when we have a wrong perspective or a wrong valuation of money, it affects so much of life. And so hopefully today, I'm going to help us have a true perspective on what the value of money is. How many of you have seen the Antiques Roadshow? That, that show where people come in, they bring something that they've found in their basement or in their attic or has been passed down from generation. They set it on the table and an expert goes over the history of this item and tells them that it's worth thousands of dollars to their shock and amazement or tells them that it's worth $2 maybe at a yard sale to their great disappointment. And what I love, I haven't seen that show in forever. I'm not even sure if it's still on the air. But what I love about that is that somebody might tell the expert that this was something that their great-grandfather brought over from World War II and it has all of this significance to their family. But when they're told it's only worth $2, they're just totally disappointed. Like somehow it is no longer as valuable in their eyes, even though that expert hasn't disconnected the family ties to it. They're putting more stock in the financial value, the monetary value of that item, than the significance that it holds to their family or the emotional value that it holds. What I hope to do this morning is bring out an expert on money. And instead of an antique on the table, we're going to put cash on the table. And bring out an expert who's going to show us what the valuation, that the real value of money is. And the expert that I'm going to ask to help me with this is named Solomon. And the reason that Solomon is an expert on money is that he was not only the wisest man in the world, he was the most powerful man in the world and the richest man in the world. If anybody knows the power of money, it is Solomon. Scripture tells us that Solomon, early in his life, God said, Solomon, I'll give you anything that you want. What do you want? And Solomon said, I want wisdom. Now, he could have asked for money. He could have asked for power. He could have asked for good looks. But he asked for wisdom, and God gave him all of the other things along with it. His wisdom brought him great power and riches. He was so rich that other kings and queens would come to sit at his feet, listen to what he had to say, look at the exotic animals that he had gathered, tour his beautiful gardens, and they would leave saying that the hype that they had heard didn't even live up to the reality, that he exceeded what they expected, even though they'd heard a lot of hype about this guy. And so Solomon knows a lot about money. He knows what it is to have money, to use it to buy whatever you want. Scripture tells us that Solomon was so rich that he had so much silver that he ruined the silver economy of that day because silver was so easily accessible, easy to gain, that silver was like gravel. It was like rocks on the ground. You walked by rocks this morning and didn't stop and pick them up. Why? Because who needs a pocket full of rocks. My son does, that's who. 
My son Lincoln, he's four, and regularly he asks at his school if he can bring the rocks from the playground home to me, his dad. That's the gifts that he wants to bring me. Yes, or this week, Friday, I was helping him get his book bag. There is a Ziploc bag full of rocks in his backpack. Now, Lincoln, my four-year-old son, is probably the only one carrying around a rock bag of rocks, right? Because we don't value that. Silver was so valuable or so devalued in Solomon's day that it was like rocks. It was common. He had so much of it, spent so much of it, that it just became worthless. And we believe that Solomon is the one giving us these words of wisdom in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. It's him speaking, being recorded, his speaking, his teaching being recorded. And he tells us here in in Solomon's writings, Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 10, He that loveth silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor that he that loveth abundance with increase. And what Solomon tells us very clearly is money can't buy satisfaction. Solomon would know because he had plenty of it. If anyone could have ever bought satisfaction or happiness or peace, it was Solomon. And he said, if you love money, it'll never satisfy you. Now, in all of our heads, and perhaps maybe in all of our hearts, there's a number that we secretly or even maybe outwardly believe that if we had that amount, we'd be fine. If I just had a million dollars, if I just had a billion dollars, if I just had $175,000 in my retirement account, then I wouldn't have to worry. I'd get that much money and then I could just coast and not have anything to be afraid of. And we have this idea that if we just have this amount, then we'll be satisfied. Then we'll be comfortable. Then we'll be able to be worry-free. And that belief that we hold in our heads or our hearts is not true. I want to challenge that this morning. I want Solomon to point to the money and say, this is not worth what you think that it is worth. It may have been valuable in your household or in your family. It may seem valuable to your friends. It may be popular in our culture, but it is not worth what you think that it is worth. And I want to share you a progression that I heard Carrie Newhoff use. And I think that once you hear this, you'll see it all around you. The progression of constantly searching to be satisfied is more than better than different. More than better than different. If you get more money and you're able to buy more stuff, you'll think that that is eventually going to satisfy you if I just have a little bit more. And the truth is, you don't even have to be rich to follow this path because you can go and buy more junk that you don't need. You can go and buy a bunch of stuff that's super cheap. And you can, you can go to a thrift store and say, I got this for a quarter. I, this was so cheap. I walked in with $7 and I can't fit everything in my car that I bought. And you can buy more stuff with very little money. And we can go through this progression of trying to get more, even at a very cheap cost, trying to satisfy this, this thing that is missing in our hearts and in our lives. There are people who have barely any money 
But every Saturday morning, after they've received their paycheck on Friday afternoon, they go out on the endless search for more. And they may have learned that their dollar goes faster, goes farther if they spend it on cheaper things, but they just fill their home with lots and lots of cheap stuff that they don't need. And here's the common refrain of a person who is on the endless search for satisfaction and more. I couldn't pass it up. I mean, it's such a great deal. I mean, I don't need it, but it was so cheap. I don't know what I'm going to do with it. Right now, our homes are bigger than they've ever been before. We have more garage space than we've ever had in our, our country before. And you know what we're building constantly? Every time you see a building site around this, in this area, chances are that it's another mini storage, right? Because we need more space to put our stuff that we don't use, that we don't need. But we couldn't pass it up because it's such a great deal. Our homes are full of things that we don't need. Our homes are full of things that if they were stolen, we wouldn't miss them unless somebody told us that they were stolen. (laughs) We wouldn't even be upset about it unless we saw that it had been stolen. Uh, I'm I'm not telling tales out of school, all right? Listen, we've had yard sales here at our church where people have bought things that used to be theirs, and they sold at their yard sale previously. (laughs) They see an item and go, man, I really like that. And they buy it, and the person says, you know, I bought this from you like five years ago. (laughs) And we're just swapping stuff back and forth in this constant search for more. And when we finally do get rid of some stuff, it's so that we have enough money so that we can go and buy more stuff with it, so that we can convert it into more. And at some point, many people, they get to a place where they realize more is not going to satisfy. Now, some people stay stuck here all their lives. And they spend their lives trying to have more, more, more. And they fill their homes till they're overflowing. And they fill their mini storage till it's overflowing. And they start giving it to you, asking if you can hold on to it in your garage because their garage is overflowing. And they live out their life constantly trying to have more. But some people break out of more and they go to better. They say, I don't need more stuff. I just need better stuff. I need nicer things. And in this phase of life, you opt for the luxury brand of the car that you have. It's made by the same people in the same factory and sold at the same dealership, but it has a different brand name and it's got German engineering and it's better. And you talk to people about how much better this car is than the last one that you had. Or how much better this couch is than the last one that she had, which is now out in the garage. Many people stay in this phase. They talk about the durability of their new furniture and the true comfort of their new clothes. But when that doesn't satisfy, they move from more to better to different. And when they haven't found satisfaction in having more stuff or having better stuff, They decide they need different stuff. They need unique stuff. Stuff you haven't even heard of. Stuff you didn't even know that you needed until you saw that someone else had it. They get the limited edition. They buy the one of a kind. They buy the things that you can't find in stores around here. It's the unique. And I think that if you'll watch around you, you'll see this progression all over the place. 
and marketing and advertisement in your own life and in the lives of others more, better, different. And Solomon lived this out because he tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 of his experience with all the things that he had. And I'm just going to read you a paraphrase of what he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 4 to 11. Oh, I did great things. I built houses. I planted vineyards. I designed gardens and parks. I planted a variety of fruit trees in them. I made pools of water to irrigate the groves of trees. I made more. I made them better. I made them different. I bought slaves and male and female, who had children, giving me even more slaves. Then I acquired large herds and flocks, larger than any before me in Jerusalem. I piled up gold and silver, loot from kings and kingdoms. I gathered a chorus of singers to entertain me with song, and most exquisite of all pleasures, voluptuous maidens for my bed. Everything I wanted, I took. I never said no to myself. I gave in to every impulse. I held back nothing. I sucked the marrow of pleasure out of every task, and my reward to myself was for my hard day's work. And then I took a good look at everything I'd done, looked at all my sweat and hard work. But when I looked, I saw nothing but smoke, smoke and spitting into the wind. There was nothing to any of it, nothing. What Solomon experienced was that no matter how much more or how much better or how much different it was, it was never enough. Solomon found that all along the progression of his search for meaning and substance and satisfaction through things and stuff and money, it was meaningless. There's a modern-day Solomon who found this exact same thing to be true. Jim Carrey, in an interview a couple of years ago, said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Jim Carrey has acquired an incredible amount of riches. He's very famous. He lives in luxury. He's lived a good portion of his life doing whatever he wanted to do because there was nothing to stop him. And what he found is that it's not the answer. And if you, if you listen to Jim Carrey talk to anybody at this stage in his life, you can tell that he has said, this is not satisfactory. He's a modern-day Solomon who said, there is no satisfaction in things and riches or even fame. It's not the answer. So Solomon says, money isn't the answer. And then he goes on to say, actually, often it's the problem. Because in verse 11 of Ecclesiastes 5, he says, when goods increased, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving, beholding them with their eyes? He says, when you have a lot of more money, you know what? You have a lot more people coming around who want to eat your food. You've got a lot more people that need help. Solomon also found that as soon as he had more money, more people were counting on him, looking to him, asking him. Here's what Solomon found. Solomon found that more money equals more problems. Some of you might be familiar with that phrase because it was made popular by a rap song in the 90s when I was in high school. Notorious B.I.G., after he died, released this song. And the refrain of the song goes, um, I don't know what they want from me. It's like the more money we come across, the more problems we see. And that became a number one hit song in the 90s. But they stole that from Solomon. Because he said that first, 3,000 years ago. More money equals more problems. More heartache. 
more difficulty. Verse 12, he says, The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he's eaten little or much, but the abundance of a rich man will not allow him to sleep. The rich man can hardly sleep because he has so many worries. He has so much to lose. He worries that it will be taken from him. Verse 13, Solomon says, There's a sore evil that I have seen under the sun, namely, that riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. Those that held on to riches, they were hurt by them. People came and took them from them, robbed from them, stole them, murdered them to take their money, kidnapped them to hold them for ransom. They became a target. How many of you get phone calls all the time? Numbers you don't recognize, right? You know why? You're a target. Because you live in one of the wealthiest nations in the world. And they don't call third world countries. They call us. Because we have money to be swindled out of and to be scammed. If you could convince them over your iPhone that you don't have any money to lose, they'd stop calling you. But they're convinced that we have money to lose. So they keep trying to scam us out of our money. Solomon says, I've noticed that the more money you have, more problems come along with it. You don't sleep as well. Robbers, killers, murderers, scammers, thieves come along. Verse 14, he says, But those riches perish by evil travail. They're spent up in evil ways. They're taken. And then you beget a son, and there's nothing to give to him. And he is born with nothing in his hand. And you, like everyone else, will return to the grave just like you came into this world with nothing. If you read the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is often quite a downer. Because he's obvious, honest about life. He says, we came into this world with nothing. And when we leave this world, we carry nothing with us. So when we have this realization, when we see what Solomon has to say about money, suddenly it doesn't hold as much value in our eyes. So, okay, well, Pastor Dan, what are you saying? We should have no money? Like, we should just not use currency? We should get rid of it and don't ever touch money and don't get a job? No, I'm not saying that at all. I did have a guy say that to me recently. He's telling me how money is the root of all evil and that he doesn't take currency because it's so bad. And then he asked me to use my money to buy him hamburger because he didn't have any money. That's a true story. I'm not telling you that you need to take the money out of your wallet and burn it. I'm not saying that you need to quit your job because money is evil. That's actually a fallacy. Money is not the root of all evil. The love of money is the root of all evil. You know, our money says, in God we trust on it. And the problem is that we fail to see that reminder. We should probably write with Sharpie on our checkbooks and on our credit cards, in God we trust, because that's probably how we spend most of our money these days. We should probably have written across our laptop screens, in God we trust, so that when we look at Amazon and we buy stuff, we still see that. Because what we have done is we've come to a place in our lives that we don't trust God, we trust money. When Scripture says that the love of money is the root of all evil, so when we put our trust in it, we put our desire in it, we become overtaken with our greed. And Francis Bacon summed this up well. He said, money is a good servant but a bad master. Money can be a useful tool, but it's a horrible taskmaster. If we put our trust and our faith in it, it'll do great damage in our hearts and lives. 
So when we realize that money is this tool, that it has some value but nowhere near the value that we think that it does, when it's good for rendering for services and buying food and receiving payments, but it's not our master, not where we put our trust and our faith and our hope, then we can start to look where we need to look for our trust and our faith and our hope. It's interesting that Solomon uses this language here of you lose and you return to the dust with nothing. It's a very similar phrasing that Jesus is Jesus uses when he says, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world but yet lost his soul? If we lose ourselves to gain the world, what shall it profit us? The truth is that the greatest things in life are free. And the greatest thing in life is free, but it was very costly. There's a wonderful verse in Isaiah 55, verse 1. It it sticks out to me because I can remember my grandfather preaching on it when I was a young man. And the scripture says, without money and without price, come and drink. Those that are thirsty, without money and without price. Scripture is saying that we can drink what we are thirsty for without money and without price. The thing that we most need in life costs nothing. The thing that we are searching for in more and better and different satisfaction, a quench for our thirst, for our thirsty souls. It is available without money and without price. It doesn't cost us anything, but it costs Jesus something. Earlier, Derek led us sing singing about Jesus paying it all. And that's what he did. He paid the price for us the price for our sins. We have done an incredible amount of damage and someone had to make it right and you and I don't have the funds that are needed to make it right. So Jesus paid it for us. And he offers us the satisfaction that we crave, the hope that we need, the joy that we long for, the love that we were designed for, the eternity that we're destined for. He offers it all to us free because he paid the price. So this morning, God's word opens up to us truths about money, not so that it can get something from us, but so that it can give something to us. Because when we put our hope and trust in money, when we love money, when we go searching through more and better and different, looking for what will satisfy our souls, we will constantly, constantly be disappointed because we're looking in all of the wrong places. But when we recognize that money can't satisfy, and nothing in this world can, we're ready to recognize that He can satisfy. Come, those that are thirsty, and drink without money and without price. You know what Ecclesiastes also tells us? It tells us that God set eternity in our hearts. That's like our hearts are like a bank account that no matter how much money you put into it, it's still in the red. Some of you are like, I got that bank account. That's my bank account. But it's, it's a hole that can never be filled up. Eternity in our heart, it can never be filled. It's like you keep making deposits and it doesn't accumulate anything. That's what our hearts are like. 
and we have this thirst that constantly comes back. We are always still thirsty. But Jesus offers us His grace, His love, so that we will never thirst again, so that we're satisfied in Him. So let's stop valuing money so highly. Stop trying to make it our Savior. Stop trying to find hope and peace and joy and love in it because we can only find that in Jesus Christ. And when we have that proper perspective on money, we can talk about the rest of these truths in God's Word, the wisdom about money, and talk with, about it with a little bit of separation. I mean, have you ever noticed how awkward it gets when you talk to somebody about money, right? I mean, you just bring up money, and it gets awkward. Why? Because we value it so highly. But when we devalue money and we value Jesus, it's so much easier for us to see God's truth and His wisdom in our lives as it relates to our money. If we devalue money and we value Jesus, if we trust in Him as our Savior and not in our retirement funds or our accounts, then I'll be able to talk to you about the proper way to use your money and you won't feel personally attacked because I'm not attacking your source of security or hope or peace because that's wrapped up in Jesus. But if money is your source of security and hope and peace, I'm not going to be able to talk to you about it without you feeling threatened and putting your guard up. So Solomon makes it pretty clear that the value of money is much less than we realize. Hopefully you've realized that this morning But more than that, I hope that as you devalue money, you value Jesus. As you see how worthless money is, you see how worthy he is. It's interesting that Jesus says you cannot serve God and mammon or money or lucre. Why did he make that comparison? Because he knew that our hearts would be tempted to trust in money and not in him. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.